Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. And uh, so we're in Luke chapter 14 and verse 16. It says this, But he said to him, A certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent out his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife. For that reason, I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. And then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Awesome. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, what you just saw is a video. That was, that was me ten, 10 years ago, about maybe 20 pounds ago, uh, on the very, very first uh, Sunday at Pathway, teaching from a passage that I want to reread today, and it's found in Luke's Gospel, and it's called The Parable of the Banquet. And uh, all those years ago, uh, when we began Pathway Church, we, we began with a dream to reach people. And so I want to just welcome you. My name's Nathan, and uh, so glad to see some of your faces here live. And I know we have uh, folks watching at home uh, via our live stream, and it's so great uh, to have you here with us. You may not know this, but uh, next Sunday, we're actually going to be celebrating our 10-year anniversary. Next Sunday. Can you believe that? Super enthusiastic. Yeah. When I, when I think about that, um, I, I sort of have two reactions. One of them is like, where did those 10 years go? It's been that long. The second reaction is, is we're just getting started. I, I, was, I was in a church this week. I was waiting for a meeting. I was standing in the hall, and they had all these documents on the wall for this particular church, and some of them were 30, 35, and 40 years old. And I was looking. I'm like, man, this church is middle-aged. And we're about to blow out 10 candles, right? So we're prepubescent. Right? We're, we're just getting... I probably shouldn't have said that. I, usually, usually we have two services, and the first one I say all the stuff wrong, and people come and say, you shouldn't say that word, you shouldn't say that, and then I fix it for the second service. It's the family-rated one that goes out online, but I have to remember that we're being live-streamed and kind of play nice. When we, uh, when we launched the church, I had a binder. I called it the Pathway Binder, and in the six months leading up to the launch of the church... Um, we had leadership meetings, and we prayed, and I began to document the mission, vision, values, the model, how we were going to do things, what was going to make Pathway Church a unique community. And I remember uh, putting these documents together, and now, after 10 years, looking back, uh, some of the stuff, we were, we were right off track. Some of it was really good, and we're still doing it. But the one thing that has never changed from then until now is the mission, the overall mission, 
of Pathway Church. And I want to share with you the mission statement. Um, This is the mission statement for our church. The mission statement is to reach people far from God and to see them become devoted followers of Jesus. This was the mission when we launched 10 years ago. It continues to be the mission for our church. And this is important, and I want to come back to it because I believe that the mission, okay, the mission clarifies the why behind the what. The mission tells you what you're aiming for. It's your destination. It's the thing that you're trying to do. And if you know what your mission is, then you know how to get there. For example, if you were wanting to go to Florida, and in a few months, we're all going to want to go to Florida, okay? Uh, if you want to go to Florida, then that mission, that aim of getting to Florida would actually inform many of your other decisions. For example, you put out your suitcase on the bed, and you think to yourself, what should I pack? Where am I going? I'm going to Florida. I put my swimsuit. I'll put some sunscreen. I'll put some flip-flops in there. So what you pack in the bag is actually determined by the end goal of where you're going to get. Your mission determines. Then you get in your car and you start driving and you get to the highway and there's two ramps to get onto the highway. One that goes north and one that goes south. Which one do you take? South. Thank you. One person knows the answer. And so you're heading to Florida, right? You're heading south. So the mission clarifies. The why clarifies the what. And honestly, people, people come to church, people uh, might see Pathway Church, and they might see what we do. They might see the way we have our services. They might see the kinds of groups and programs we have, and youth and kids ministry. They see the what, but they don't always understand the why. What is it that's driving us? What is it that is our aim, our destination, our mission? Because that actually determines what we do. So the question that we want to be talking about in the next few weeks is this question of what is our mission? And it's a great question because, remember, that mission that we have will clarify what we do. And especially in times like these when everything seems to be changing. Has anyone noticed? Things are changing. Over the past 10 years, I can tell you this, a lot of stuff has changed. 10 years ago, we did not have smartphones. I mean, we thought we had smartphones. But they weren't actually that smart. I had one. I wore it in a leather pouch on my hip. That, that was cool back then. Really. And I had this smartphone, and I had no idea at that time that, you know, 10 years from now, we'd be able to live stream a service. People could be watching live at home in their pajamas. Never thought of that. I would have never guessed 10 years ago that we'd be ordering groceries and clothes online and having them delivered. I mean, the world is changing around us. And so what we do and how we do ministry has to change, but our mission doesn't. So what is our mission? That's a great question, but there's a better question. And that is this, what is his mission? And that, that first uh, message that I shared at Pathway Church was really this idea that, hey, we didn't come up with something new here. Our mission is actually thousands and thousands of years old. Our mission is actually as old as time because it is God's mission that we're on. And that first Sunday, I shared this mission statement and this dream for our church with, well, there was about 70 to 75 people at that first service. Well, that was pretty good. I mean, when you say, hey, we're starting a church and you open up and you have a grand opening and 75 people show up, you feel pretty good. Then the next week, there were about 50 because all our family and friends left. (laughs) They were there to support us, of course, not not because they didn't like it, but they all came in from out of town. And then second week, we had 50 because we still had some family and friends that couldn't get to the grand opening. And then the third week, we grew the church down to about 35 people. And from there, we began on this mission that is God's mission uh, to reach people. And so today, um, we're going to kick off this message series called Table Talk. And this is this is what we're calling this series, Table Talk. And one of the reasons why we're talking about this idea of a table is because there's something so powerful about conversations and meals. Have you noticed this? What what is it about food? Why is it that we only eat with people we like? When was the last time you sat down and had a nice dinner with someone you really hated? 
<laughs> You're like, Thanksgiving, actually. <laughs> uh, family doesn't count. Uh, you just, we don't do that, right? So like we, there's something about food and there's something about relationship that happens over a meal, right? When, when the guy meets a girl and he wants to take her out on a date, it's like, oh, I want to get to know her. What does he do? They don't go skydiving. They go up for dinner. And they sit across a candlelit dinner and they look into each other's eyes and watch each other eat. It's weird. Let's just be honest. It is. And it's probably wise because if she's a loud chewer, you know, you can't do 50 years of that. Back out while you can. <laughs> we'll fix this second service. Um, <laughs> the point is, is that relationship happens over meals. And when you open up the Bible, I'll tell you what you discover. Throughout the Bible, from Old Testament to New, there's this conversation around meals and banquets and celebration. God commanded the nation of Israel every single week as families to gather on the Sabbath and to have meals and to stop and to slow down and be in a relationship. He promised that one day in his kingdom, when his kingdom comes to earth, that there would be this great banquet, a wedding feast, where God's people would sit down at a table with God, which meant they're in relationship, they're part of his family, they're welcome. This was the image that God has portraying throughout the scripture, and it's an image of relationship. And so we're calling this series Table Talk because, well, first of all, both of these passages that we're going to look at today are spoken by Jesus. And interestingly enough, both of these passages that Jesus says are spoken from a dinner table. The first, Jesus is sitting with the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. And all the religious people are watching from a distance and listening to his conversation with Zacchaeus and they're wondering, what is he doing in fellowship, in friendship, eating a meal with someone like that? And it's there Jesus is going to share his mission. The second text we're going to look at is a a parable called the parable of the banquet. And Jesus actually is sitting at a dinner table with religious leaders and he's going to share this story to explain to them what exactly his mission is. So let's, let's jump into it. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Jesus, after eating a meal with Zacchaeus, all the religious leaders, the churchgoers, you know, the, the good people, they're listening and they're trying to figure out why he's sitting with Zacchaeus. And Jesus says this, for the son of man came to, and you're wondering what he came to do. He's going to tell us his mission. Here's the first thing. The son of man came to build giant cathedrals. Some of you are going, I don't think he said that. The son of man came to influence government and politics to take down the Romans He didn't say that either. The Son of Man came to eradicate hunger and poverty. That's really good. But that's not what he said. Here's the last one. The Son of Man came to teach moral living. And honestly, guys, these are things that people look at the church, the organized church, organized people of God, and they go, this is what the church is supposed to be all about. But Jesus didn't say any of those things. Jesus said something that is way more significant. Here's what he actually said. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Can we say that together? Seek and save the lost. Jesus says, this is why I came for lost people. I came to save lost people. I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to to find those people who are bound in chains and to set them free and to break their chains. I came to bring light into dark places and people that cannot find their way to God. I came for them. I came for the lost. This is Jesus saying, this is my mission. This is why I came to the earth. This is why I stepped out of heavenly glory and came down to be born, to live in this broken world. This is why I'm going to suffer and ultimately die, because I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' mission statement. Now that's pretty straightforward. Here's the problem. The religious leaders, when Jesus said this, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. 
And the reason why they didn't understand his mission is because they didn't understand this word, lost. I mean, they knew what it meant. But, but they, they made some, some wrong assumptions about who he was talking about when he said the word lost. See, next slide. They wrongly assumed. They wrongly assumed that lost refers to somebody else. Anybody ever heard the word, you hear Jesus say, I came for the lost, and you go, that's my brother-in-law. Oh, man. And, and so, lost refers to somebody else. Put up the next slide there. There's a little blank. And, and this is what we think. So-and-so needs Jesus. Fill in the blank. You go, oh, that's my husband. If only my husband was here to hear this message, because he needs Jesus. My wife needs Jesus. I have a teenager, and man, you put their name in there, they need Jesus. And we, we look around us, and we go, so-and-so needs Jesus. And, and we think to ourselves, I'm doing okay, but, but those people, the people I work with, the people I go to school with, the people that drink too much, the people that, that are addicted to drugs, they need Jesus. And so this is what we do. We naturally fill in the blank. Let's throw a name in there. Steve needs Jesus. Is there any Steves in here today? Okay, we do. Sorry, I'm not picking on you. Okay, there's a couple Steves. Listen, I'm not picking on you, but I do want to tell you something. Steve, you need Jesus. Just saying, and so do I. And so do you. See, here's where we get off. We get off because we wrongly assume that lost people is somebody else. We wrongly assume that lost people are out there. When I was a kid, I grew up in church. And I remember going to church as a kid and I had my like, little three-piece suit and a tie on and everything was starched. And we walked into this old church building and everyone gathered around and we sung a hymn. You know, we will roll the old chariot up the hill. And everyone looked sad and, and disappointed. I thought, is this a funeral? And I looked around and I thought, these people don't seem very happy. These people don't seem very charged. And then we'd pray. And it was like, Lord, would you save the people out there, the lost people, those people, the people in the marketplace, so they can be miserable like us? No, they didn't say that, but it was inferred. It was like, Lord, we, you know, it was like we were praying about them. And, and, and this, is, this is important, right? Because in our minds, it was like there was us and there was them. It was like we, we, we had it kind of together. We were following Jesus. We were religious people. We were good people. And the people out there were not. And so it, it created this, this chasm. It created a divide. Next slide. You see, every single one of us, we do this. We, we have a morality meter. Okay, track with me. At the top, we have a very good person. This is like a saintly person. Maybe you think that's you. Maybe you know somebody like that. Then there's the typically good person. This is almost always doing the right thing, going the right places, doing all that. Then you have the moderately good person. And then, of course, you have the moderately bad person. This is the person that if you take their fry, they snap on you and you don't know what happened because they were just moderately bad. And then you have the typically bad person and, of course, last but not least, axe murderer. And you could insert terrible people from history, you know, Adolf Hitler or whatever. And so we typically go, yeah, okay, I'm not the axe murderer. Just, okay, that's definitely not me, okay? And then you go, typically bad? Hmm. No, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm typically bad. I'm probably, no, I don't think I'm moderately bad. I'm, I'm a moderately good person. So most of us will put ourselves in this top quadrant. Now, here's what we do with our morality meter. We typically all want to draw a line somewhere, right? So let's put a line in there. So we draw a line. And maybe you put the line here and you say, okay, people below the line are lost. But me, I'm doing okay. The Pharisees, the religious people in Jesus' day, they would have had the line way up at the top, right, right under very good. And so if you weren't very good, you were lost. And that's kind of how they would have divided up. But we all have this, this morality meter. And by the way, every religion in the world does this. Every person in the world does this. When you look at the people you work with, your family, your friends, you go, oh yeah, I'm here, they're there, we're drawing lines, and we're segmenting all these things. 
on our morality meter. What's incredible, though, about um, what the Scriptures teach is when Jesus says that He came to seek and save the lost, He's actually not talking about just these people. Paul would later write to the Roman church, and in Romans 3.23, many of you have heard this passage before, he says this. He says, it's coming. Watch. Okay, keep going. Where's Romans 3.23? Is it not there? We'll come back to those. Okay. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's actually what Paul teaches. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So guess what that means? Who's lost? Everybody. Or at least everyone starts there. Okay? We're on an equal footing, on an equal playing field. So when God draws a line, he draws the line up here. You see my graphic? Instead of the line being wherever we think it should be, he puts it here where no man, no woman qualifies. No one meets the standard of God, which means, by the way, that all are lost. This is the starting point for every person. And so we can go back a couple slides because what happens when we look out at the world and we wrongly assume that lost people are someone else, then it creates an us and them mentality. You with me? Okay, there's, there's us, the good people, and them, the bad people. There's us, the church people, and then there's the non-church people. There's us, the moral people, and them, the immoral people. There's us conservatives and them liberals. Us Republicans, them Democrats. Black, white, male, female. You can divide it however you want to do it. But there's something about human nature that wants to draw lines, categorize, and put people into buckets. So we know what to do with them. And we create an us and them. Why? Because we wrongly assume. We wrongly assume that loss refers to someone else. The other thing that happens uh, is that we get, throw the next slide up there for me, cancel culture. Cancel culture is something that we're actually seeing a lot in our day. I don't know if you know what this is, but cancel culture is this basic idea that if someone disagrees with something, you know, you look at somebody and they have a different view than you, that you just cancel them. And you're seeing this on social media. Someone says something, they sh- you know, something that's off-colored or something, something that's taken out of context and everyone just like abandon that person. And so we throw out the entire person because of a point of view. So instead of valuing individuals, which by the way is what God does, we look at people as ideologues. We look at them like, okay, they're a belief system. They're a conservative, a liberal. They're a this, they're a that. And so we, again, segment us and them, categorize, and we cancel people. It used to be that we could you know, have conversations with people we disagree with and learn from one another and move towards the middle. And of course, I don't know what's going on in our day and age, but cancel culture isn't new, friends. Because when we go back to these stories that we're talking about, the Pharisees and religious leaders, they saw a tax collector and they just wrote him off. He's lost. They saw someone who was caught in sin, adultery, and they went lost forever. Canceled. Us, them. Good, bad. Canceled. Jesus did not do this. And so today we're going to look at uh, a parable called the parable of the banquet. And it is found in Luke's gospel. And we're going to be, I think, in chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 16. So what we're going to do, we're going to just walk through it. And I'm going to stop and fill in some blanks. At the beginning of this passage, it says, but he said to him. So Jesus is actually responding to somebody. So let me give you the context. Jesus is at a dinner with religious leaders. These are people like many of you here today, church every week, 
Well, that's not all of us, but I mean, I thought I'd throw that out. I thought that was funny, but apparently it wasn't. Um, they went to church every day. They tithed. Like 10% of everything they came in went straight to God. They, they didn't eat foods they weren't supposed to eat. Uh, they read the Bible, the Torah. They prayed every day. They tried to live holy lives. I mean, these are good people, moral people, religious leaders. And Jesus is sitting with them, and, and they're having this feast. They're sitting at a table like we've been talking about. And Jesus, he had a relationship with the tax collectors, but he also had a relationship with the religious people. And he's sitting at the table, and one of them says this, won't it be amazing when we all break bread in heaven with God? He's referring to the end when God's people are at God's table having a meal, and this guy throws it out like, hey, won't it be great when we're all in heaven having bread with God? And Jesus tells this story, and he's going to rattle their paradigm. He's going to shake their thinking as he tells this story. So here's what he says. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. So remember the context. God's going to have a great banquet. His people are all going to be there. Jesus says, Let me tell you a story about a great man who held a great banquet and invited many. Now, the religious leader sitting at the table would have rightly assumed three things. Number one, they would have rightly assumed that this story is about God holding a banquet. They would have rightly assumed that the people who he was inviting were them, the Jews, the moral, law-abiding Jews. And so they would have assumed these things and they would have been correct. But here's what Jesus says next. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Jesus throws in another variable. He says there's a servant who comes to announce the time of the banquet. And this is how they would have done things in those days because they didn't have phones. They didn't have internet. So if you were holding a party, you would say, hey, next month we're going to have this big feast. There's a wedding coming up. Around this time, someone will come and get you. And they would send messengers, and the messenger would show up at your doorstep randomly and be like, it's time, the, the party is happening. And when they had a wedding, they didn't do like we do. We have the, like, you know, the, the, the one-hour wedding and the three-hour reception. The weddings would last for days because people would travel for, for weeks on foot to get there, and then they would stay, and they would just party for, well, they would just keep partying. It was just this big celebration. And so the messenger goes out, and here's what's interesting. When Jesus says the servant comes to let the people who were invited know that the party's happening, he's talking about himself. Jesus is the one who comes from God. Jesus is the one who comes to announce the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Follow me. Believe in me and I will show you the way to the Father. I will show you the way into right standing. So Jesus, so track with me. Religious leaders are listening to Jesus' story and they're putting the pieces together. God's holding a party. We're invited. A messenger's coming to let us know I think Jesus means it's him. Watch what Jesus does next. But they all alike began to make excuses. This is when the listeners are going, is is he talking about us? Excuses? Look, Look at the excuses they make. These are great. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excuse. It's like, I got a big real estate deal. In the works, I can't leave right now. I got to stay. This is super, super important. I got stuff to buy, stuff to do. Next excuse. Let's look at it. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excuse. Second guy goes, Hey, I'm so busy with work. I got this new fleet that I'm going to pick up, right? Uh, you know, that would have been a tractor or a truck for them in those days. So he was busy. Okay. Here's the third one. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Oldest excuse in the book. I remember the first month I got married, a bunch of my friends who were still single at the time were like, hey, do you want to go golfing all day long on Saturday? And you know what I said? 
I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I did. I remember saying it. I remember reading this passage and going, I know how that feels. They asked me another time, like, hey, you want to go paintballing? And I thought, oh, paintballing would be fun. You know what I said? I've married a wife and I must go to Ikea this Saturday, <laughs> which, is, which is awful. So we really have three excuses. Here's, here's the excuses that are given. And honestly, guys, these are the same old excuses. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Possessions. I can't leave my stuff. God, you want me to follow you. God, you want me to live for you. But I'm so connected to my stuff, so connected to my wealth, my possessions. I can't let it go. I can't follow you. Second one is work, right? And, and we say, I'm too busy. I'm working on my degree. I'm, I'm building a business. I, I have so many people depend on me. I can't, I can't follow you. I can't. Third, relationships. I don't know how many times I've, I've run into people and they know God is calling them and they want to live for him and they want to follow Jesus, but they know that if they follow Jesus, they have to remove a relationship from their life and they're not willing to do it. Maybe some of you have been there. They give these excuses and Jesus says, you are the chosen ones. You're these religious people. You've been studying the scriptures. I'm here. The messenger's here. Come and follow me. Trust me. Believe me. I'll show you the way to the Father. You'll sit at the table. But they made excuses. Check out what happens next. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The servant goes back to the master and says, hey, all the people you invited, guess what? They didn't want to come. Guess what? They didn't want to follow me back here. And he reports this to his master. Now, this is, this is pretty cool. Watch what happens next. And so the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. And bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now, this may not mean much to you, but what, what the story is telling us is that God says, hey, I've invited my chosen people, I've invited the Jews, I've invited these religious people who've been looking for me and waiting for me, but they wouldn't come. I think I have a little graph here of the different kinds of people that were invited, if you can throw that up for me. There it is. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders, right? Here's, here's how they viewed the world. Remember, we're talking about us and them. They, they were Jews in good standing, us. And then there were poor and sick Jews. And their mentality was, if you were poor, if you were sick, it's because you did something wrong and, and God was either judging you or allowing you to suffer until you got it right. It was, it was bad karma, right? And so you have Jews in good standing and then you have poor and sick Jews. And so again, the religious leaders kind of went, mm, God doesn't want them. And so you had this line. And then you had tax collectors who were Jews who were collecting taxes for Rome. They were turncoats, so they were way down the list. Samaritans were half Jews. They didn't worship God the right way. And then, of course, you have Gentiles, Romans, Greeks, and everyone else. So this is how they viewed the world, us and them. And what happens here is as Jesus is telling this story, he's like, hey, the messenger comes to tell the Jews in good standing the time has now come to be in relationship with God. Come and follow the Messiah. And you know what happens? They reject him. And so Jesus tells us what happens next. He says, here's what happens next. He's like, the master says, go and invite people from the slums. Go and invite the sick and the lame. And essentially what he's going to do is he's going to drop this line down here. That's what he's doing in the story. He's like, the servant came and invited those to come who were invited and they said no they rejected him so he says here's what we're gonna do go into the streets go into the rough areas of town where the sinners the tax collectors are and i want you to invite them in to be in relationship with me to sit at my table pretty cool right 
And if this wasn't offensive enough, look what happens next. And the servant said, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. So we invited the sick, we invited the lame in and still there is room. Verse 23, the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So we go back to that graphic with the line at the bottom. Here's what Jesus does in this final section of the parable. He says, not only is the line moved from here to here, but the line is actually moving all the way down here. The highways and the hedges represented those outside the city, outside God's covenant people. What Jesus is saying in this story is that God comes to his chosen people who were supposed to be watching for him, and when they reject him, he opens the floodgates. He opens the doors for all to come in. Those who are in sin, those who who have lost their way, those who are Gentiles, which, by the way, is pretty much all of us, right? We're not Jews by descendant. And so he throws open the floodgates. And do you know what happened? We had us and them, right? You had the the Jewish leaders and, and then them. And what happens is Jesus continues to lower this line until all that's left is us. And friends, instead of thinking of people as us and them, it should be, we should think of it like us and him. Because that's what there is. It's you and me, individuals, putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. So let's go back to our mission statement. Here's our mission statement, to reach people far from God. This is, this is what we set out to be about as a church 10 years ago. To reach people far from God. Who is that? It's all of us. Now, I understand many of us have chosen to follow him, and we're not as far from him as we were, and we're moving in the right direction. But apart from him, and apart from faith in him, We are hopeless, right? And to see them become devoted followers of Jesus. I've actually thought about changing the wording on this just a little bit. Because initially we said see, to see them become. But that's a passive. You know, you're watching people become devoted followers of Jesus. Maybe we should change that word to say... This touchscreen isn't working. There was supposed to be a... That's all right. It must be gone. What I was thinking about was changing this to say and help them become devoted followers of Jesus because that's active. That what we're about is not only following Jesus with our lives but helping others do the same. And what happens uh, when we begin to think like this, when we begin to change our view of the world is that instead of going us here at Pathway and the big bad world out there, we begin to look at ourselves and go, we were lost and without hope until Christ came and saved us. And how can we share that message with the community at large? Back to our little diagrams. Here's the the first diagram that I showed you was this morality meter. If you can throw that up for me, please. Should be right at the end of the presentation. There it is. So we have a morality meter, right? And we said this at the beginning. We look at our world this way. And what Jesus has done is he has put the line up here where not any one of us could ever attain it. That's the bad news, that we're all fallen short, we're all lost. But here's the good news, that through his grace and through his coming to earth, what he has done is he has moved that line all the way down to the bottom. There it is. So that all could be included. And I don't know if any of this is making sense for you, but as we began Pathway Church so many years ago, um, you can just take all that down now. As we began Pathway Church so many years ago, uh, my heartbeat was simply this. I didn't want to be a church that ever had the mindset that it's us and them, that we have it together and then the problem is out there. 
In fact, what we need to do is view ourselves in this world to go, hey, you know what? Apart from Christ's grace and salvation and mercy, I'm lost and you're lost and they're lost and he has come and saved and redeemed us. How do we share that message with others? It's the best news the world has ever had. And God has tasked us to be on mission with him to share that message with our community, with the people around us. You know, in that mission statement, it says to, to help them become devoted followers of Jesus. That's that wording of helping people become devoted followers of Jesus. I think helping is a good word and not making, because you know what? I can't make you a follower of Jesus. I can't save anybody. Only Jesus can do that. But I can, I can help you. I can tell you about what he has done. I can invite you to follow him just like I have chosen to follow him. And so as a church, our mission is to not only live the gospel, not only embrace it for ourselves, but to share it with the world around us, to share it with our community. My hope is that in 10 years from now, right, if we were to fast forward the tape and see where we are in 10 years, that more people in our community, kids, teens, young adults, newly married, middle-aged folks, seniors, that the people of our community have heard about the good news of Jesus because we exist because we're here, because we freely share what we have freely received. It's not us and them. It's us following him. Does that make sense? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for every person listening today here in the room and online. And Lord, I, I pray uh, today, Lord, that as, as we seek to take steps to answer the call, Lord, you have invited each and every one of us into a relationship with you. And I pray, Father, today that each of us would take one step in your direction Lord, if there's anyone listening today who has never put their faith and trust in you, I pray that they would do that without hesitation. And for those of us who have been following you for years, Lord, that we would never become proud and arrogant to say, we've arrived, it's us and them. Lord, help us to continue to follow you and love you and serve you and to reach out to those around us who are lost, to share with them the good news that someone once shared with us. Help us to be about this both as individuals and as a church. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our band's going to lead us in one uh, last song. Um, and uh, this song is called, um, what's the song called? Reckless Love. I knew it. I wanted to, you know, honestly, guys, I've, uh, every once in a while I'll hear a pastor, I'll hear someone online criticize this song. Okay, let me tell you why. Because it's the song says, sings about the reckless love of God. And people, you know, open their Bible and they say, well, that's not theologically correct. God's not reckless. His love's not reckless. He planned it to perfection and he chose it. And they start quoting passages of scripture. But I can tell you this, the woman at the well, whose life was transformed by meeting Jesus, she would gladly sing this song because we're singing this song from our vantage point. God's love wasn't reckless, but it sure seems like it, that God would save a sinner like me. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector would be like, hey, God's love seems reckless because he came for me, the worst of sinners. Paul said, I am the greatest of sinners, and yet God had saved him. So I just wanted to throw that out there in case you're hearing those kinds of things online. Um, I understand all the theology behind it, but some of the songs we sing are about our heart for God and how we respond to his grace and his mercy. So would you stand with us as the band leads us in this final song? Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.